Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. But you also had people that were very fine people. Very fine people on both sides. And the, and the aliens with mind meld and give them the technology. They're bad aliens. So the, uh, Are you surprised the Nazis were influenced by demons? No, if demons are real, I would definitely think they'd be on the side of the Nazis. Yeah. McDonald's is connected to the Clintons. They chop up the bodies and put them into the sausage and hamburgers. People are being cannibalized. Look it up. And I'm watching CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power to keep this peaceful, you know? It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. Welcome to Yeah Na Pasaran, a show about fascism and its gravediggers. I'm Cam Smith. I'm Andy Fleming. On the line from North Carolina, we have Megan Squire, a professor in computer science at Elon University and a senior fellow at the Center for Analysis of the Radical Right. Thanks very much for joining us, Megan. Oh, it's my pleasure. Megan, you're a professor in computer science. How does a professor in computer science get mixed up in all of this? (laughs) (laughs) I study uh, large groups of people and how they work online. And I used to study software developers that made some kind of niche software called open source software. Some male-dominated communities, they're pretty rude to each other and kind of mean. That sounds familiar, right? It's like <laughs> very easy to take the techniques that I developed to study and collect massive amounts of data about those communities and just transfer that over to studying this other type of male-dominated, very rude, trolling, um, toxic <laughs> community. And so as my work in the software development studies um, wound down, it happened to be around the same time as we, the 2016 elections. And I started getting very concerned about what I was seeing on social media and just what was happening in, in my country. I felt like an existential threat and like, what can I do, right? So I just decided to use the same techniques and technologies that I've been, um, that I had been working up over decades and apply it to this new problem. So I was actually able to use a lot of the same same data models, same not this exact same software, but a lot of the same techniques that I'd already been using to study those other types of groups. Uh, you've written a bit about alt-tech, and I was wondering if you could just explain to our listeners what alt-tech is. Yeah, so it started off as a term that was given to a series of software platforms that the sort of alt-right created as replacements for more traditional platforms that they were being kicked off of. So for example, if you lost your GoFundMe, you'd make GoiFundMe, which was like the, you know, sort of mock-up replacement for that. And they did this for a, a series of platforms around the 2017 timeframe, some before Charlottesville, but a lot of them after Charlottesville. But in the time since then, um, Alttech has expanded a little bit and it's including not just direct sort of low budget replacements for bigger sites and platforms, but it's also including their their move towards maybe more unusual platforms that are mainstream in other places but aren't as much used in the West. So for example, Telegram for messaging or some other sites like that, or even darknet services. So it's sort of expanding a little bit as a term. 
Who is responsible for creating these platforms and funding them? Yeah, so originally the platforms, when they were just kind of the copycat sort of style, some of the guys in the movement were trying to create them themselves. And that's continuing today. So for example, there was a series of funding sites that was created by a white nationalist back in the 2017 timeframe that was used to fund some travel to Charlottesville and so on. That person has since left the movement or is in the process of leaving the movement. So sometimes it's the guys themselves. There's Matt Parrott from Traditionalist Worker Party has started a site called Grift Gang that's kind of a replacement for Gab and that kind of sort of a Twitter clone. It's run on top of Mastodon, which is a distributed infrastructure so that's still happening today. It's just one or two guys will get together and decide that they're going to create some kind of infrastructure. Sometimes, though, the more successful efforts are when they actually try to take over or not take over, but uh, move their communications to a platform that already exists. So that would be the case of something like Telegram. That's software that's been around since, uh, I think, 2014. It's pretty well built out. It's attractive, easy to use, lots of plot, you know, uh, runs on a lot of different operating systems and so on, has some security features built in and stuff. So they don't have to reinvent the wheel. They can just kind of take over something that's already in existence. And this old tech has developed uh, quite a bit in the last few years, but I guess some version of the alt right, certainly uh, fascists and white supremacists have been employing the internet for many years, Stormfront being founded as a bulletin board service uh, several decades ago. What's the relationship between those older sorts of platforms and this newer generation? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, they did kind of cut their teeth on those older style sites and probably bulletin board systems and stuff even before that, right? So even before mainstream internet, they were probably out there trying to communicate. The relationship, I guess, between those kind of sites and the newer sites is they're, (laughs) I mean, the older sites are still in existence. They still have a, there's still a popular calling card for certain demographics will definitely still go there and communicate. When uh, a slew of these guys was kicked off of VK, I think it was like on Valentine's Day of this year, uh, VK is the Russian Facebook clone. When they were kicked off of there, a couple of them went back to Stormfront and were complaining about it on there. So like they immediately went back to the place that they had they had probably been before they were on VK. So sometimes they return from whence they came, right? They also like to graduate from those places, right? So they they talk about, we used to be on X, but now we're on Y. So they, they kind of tend to move as a group sometimes. They'll decide amongst themselves where they're going to move next. Some of those VK refugees are now on Telegram, for, exa- for instance, discussing whether they like it and how long they're going to be able to be there before they'll be moved and so on. So it's it's really, I guess, each one is just a link in the chain. <laughs> they're they're constantly moving. So they're, um, they're under duress, right? So they're, they, they're not welcome usually where they end up. Um, so they're constantly moving and having to reshift and move things around. And sometimes they display interesting observations about that. They'll, they'll actually talk about what it's like to be deplatformed or how they feel about the, the different platforms or what the pros and cons are to that. So I, I like to screen cap those conversations because it's uh, the, the window into their view of what's happening to them. Um, it, it's not incredibly self-aware. You know, the reason why they're being deplatformed is because they have terrible ideas and are mean people and are trolling and harassing everyone. But their words about why they're being deplatformed are often just interesting. It's it's a, a window into what they're thinking. In the Iron March hacks that came out uh, earlier this year, yeah. in a lot of the conversations that people are having about how they were, you know, red pilled, is uh, a lot of them pointed to a particular video on YouTube. It's a 
I think, a three-hour-long documentary about Hitler and the Holocaust, which uh, takes a slightly different view to conventional history, uh, so to speak. Looks like that might be down from YouTube now, but it's available on every other video site, Daily Motion, etc. I think everything except for TikTok. We just noticed when we Googled it then, uh, Google has put up a, a notice, if you Google it, uh, saying violence is never the answer, and then gives you a multitude of links to places where you can find this video that a large number of people who embraced the violent ideology specifically pointed to as uh, what <laughs> radicalised them. Obviously, that's not a very helpful uh, response from Google, but what can they do with things like that? You know, sometimes they throw up their hands and just say, well, you know, if we if we get rid of it, it'll just move somewhere else. And I think that's um, that's true, but that doesn't excuse them from still having to remove the content. Um, I think so many times they, I don't understand why, but they act fearful about removing content or upsetting these people. And I don't, I really, after doing this for so many years, still can't wrap my head around that. Facebook's kind of the same way. They always act very fearful about removing uh, an account or content. And I can only chalk that up to that they they worry about blowback, but they also are maybe uncomfortable with the role that they have. So we're going to need to wake them up. <laughs> you know, this is with all of that money and you know power comes some responsibility to to in, enforce basic um, enforce their own rules. Actually, the the rules that they themselves lay out in their terms, they need to actually stand up and enforce those things. Yeah, I mean, they're going to start with putting up little messages or whatever it is, or demonetizing the different accounts or whatnot. I, I really think they don't have enough expertise in-house. I think their responses are kind of slow and reactive rather than proactive and quick moving. So with that much money, it's just kind of unimpressive. Their, their reactions are unimpressive to me. The uh, the creativity <laughs> that they've come up with for how to deal with these problems is is pretty uninspiring. So I don't have a whole lot of whole lot of good, warm, fuzzy feelings about the platform's responses to this stuff. I'm I'm just still hoping, holding out hope that they get better, but I don't know. I don't know. Well, the alt tech that you've described has developed partly in response to uh, deplatforming of Facebook, uh, Twitter, YouTube deciding that certain content is no longer welcome or is demonetized, and so on. I suspect it also has something to do with the actions of anti-fascist researchers and investigators. I'm wondering, what do you think, to the extent that the uh, far right, for example, is reliant upon alt-tech, what difficulties or what challenges do you think this presents to those who are researching these movements and attempting to expose them? What's changed in terms of having to concentrate on these alt-tech platforms as a source of information? Yeah, I mean, the initial reaction to a lot of people is like, oh, man, you're moving on to this platform that I'm not as familiar with. I'm always on Twitter all day long, and now they're not there, and I'm going to have to do. So yeah, it makes our job harder. But that's good, because there there's two reasons why they want to be on those big platforms. They want to be on there to be around normal people who they control and harass. And they want to propagandize, you know, to regular people, they think they're going to actually like convert people and stuff like that, pass around these videos, that kind of stuff. So we've got, you know, that that's unacceptable on the main platforms. They cannot be there around normal people, right? That's, it's like what they need to be in timeout. So that means moving them to these other platforms or letting them make their own little homemade platform or whatever it is they're going to do to try to perpetuate this stuff. And yes, that makes our job harder, but that's, that's the way the game, you know, that's the game. That's the, that's what we're doing. So we have to be smarter. We have to be ready to move. And I'm thinking about three or four steps down the road. So not just 
where they're moving right now, but where they're going to be moving in one or two years when things like cryptocurrency-based <laughs> financing systems are more widespread or where the de decentralized web is easier to use and, and more uh, widespread. So that's what keeps me up at night is thinking about where they're going to go next and how they're going to manipulate those platforms to eventually probably be close to being uncensorable. And so it's, you know, that that's just where my concern is as a tech kind of person is, um, yes, we have to keep them off these platforms today, then they'll move eventually to these other places. And we need to be prepared for that as well. I do think that some of their their movement is due to deplatforming. Some of it's self censorship, right? Like they just decide to quit making fake Twitter account. You know, just I'm not going to make my fiftieth Twitter alt. I'm just going to go to this other platform, and and that's fine. Yeah, but it does. It, you're right. It does make our job harder. But I don't think that's a reason not to do that. I think that's a really actually very poor uh, reasoning <laughs> to, to not have them on these spaces. So. We're also approaching the first anniversary of the Christchurch massacre, and there's been some very recent media reportage about various far-right actors in that part of the world uh, being exposed as advocating or allegedly advocating uh, various forms of uh, terrorism. That has come about, it seems, through the efforts of anti-fascist infiltrators and researchers as opposed to the New Zealand... Uh, government. I'm wondering, what's your feeling about the extent to which government agencies and other such uh, institutions are paying attention to these issues? And is it the case that we can't rely upon governments uh, to effectively monitor, to disrupt, to expose these elements? Is that a reason why you think that independent anti-fascist research is so important? Yes, I do. I think that at least in the United States where I'm based, the government agencies will always have the excuse of, well, we can't police people based on their beliefs, right? And so then they're very hesitant, which is, you know, it's First Amendment and all of that. But it makes them very hesitant to do the kind of exposing and the kind of work that anti-fascist and, ex like you call them, independent researchers can do. So I think maybe it's... Um, Oh, this is a hard, it's a hard question because I, I'm kind of uncomfortable saying, um, hey, government and police and law enforcement, like you should do a lot more and start investigating people's thoughts and things like that. Like that makes me incredibly uncomfortable. But at the same time, it's it's pretty obvious that they have dropped the ball and we're not on top of th this, you know, white supremacist terrorist reality. So maybe. I don't know how to do how to suggest this, but getting up to speed, just like I would suggest expertise within social media companies and on the platforms, expertise within the government and things. I was listening to a congressional testimony the other day, and the expert was talking about uh, the cryptocurrency situation and the way it was described was from 2014. L life has moved on. We have changed. The technology is completely different now than it was then. And this was the data that was being presented as current. It was woefully not current. <laughs> it was um, very out of date. And, and that made me sad because I do think that that's part of the problem. They're just not on top of the changes. Now, I think with some types of, of terrorist threat, they may be more current. I think jihadist terrorist threats are more closely watched in the U.S., just as an aside, I'm kind of curious if the reaction of the government to these guys moving to Telegram 
is going to be assisted by the fact that ISIS was already on Telegram, so they probably have scraping infrastructures and stuff in place. I don't know, but I'm guessing they do probably do. So if the if to the extent that white supremacist terrorist threat follows prior jihadist terrorist threats that they already know how to you know fight, then we, they might get lucky, right? But I think in general they're just woefully behind. You're listening to 3CR, 8.55am, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital on your DAB radio. We are currently talking to Megan Squire, a professor of computer science at Elon University in North Carolina, about alt-tech. And I guess the other concern in this context is that uh, anti-fascists themselves, especially those who are considered to be more radical or more militant, would also be aware that their own organising efforts are subject to the same kinds of uh, surveillance and potential disruption. What do you think is, or how do you understand the relationship between uh, more radical anti-fascist uh, activism, the far right and, and the state? It's It's been described by some, uh, for example, the... Um, Three-Way Fight blog has an analysis from, a, a, I guess, a radical left position of that relationship. How do you understand that relationship and, and how is it informed or does it inform your own research? Yeah, um, I guess I could talk about my discomfort with that whole – because I think you're right. It, there, there is sort of a, <laughs> a tit-for-tat kind of thing. Um, I'll just talk about this from my, my research position. So I – I'm a computer scientist. I produce original research that has to get published and write papers and things like that. And so if I write a paper about a technique that I use to study far-right groups, which I have done many times, I know that that technique could be used against other <laughs> groups, right? So I, I'm, and I'm very careful to present my work as, look, I'm studying these groups and, you know, terrorist threats and so on. But a computer, you know, data science procedure or a computer science algorithm can be turned against whoever or used for whatever. So I think that is very, I mean, that's reality, right? And so it's incumbent upon us to watch carefully how the things that we do are used and call out that when we see it. So if I do see that my, for example, I wrote a paper on finding dark networks on Venmo. If I see that law enforcement or what have you is using that technique against Black Lives Matter protesters, for example, I, I would need to yell very loudly and scream and make a, make a fuss that this is a misuse of what, what I did. I guess it's also important, though, to realize that we have a responsibility to educate our own communities about being smart and being smarter so they don't get caught up in something like, a, you know, a darknet re- research on Venmo, like lock your Venmo down. Okay. This, it wouldn't be a pro- You can use the platform without getting caught up in the surveillance um, to some extent, at least the the passive type surveillance that I do. I don't know. I think it's a, the relationship is, is a little bit testy right now. And I, I don't think that we should get comfortable right with, Oh, they're never going to look at us. They'll only use this the way that we want. That's, I mean, history says that's not a good, <laughs> a good approach. So just, Everyone needs to be wary and be be clever. We can continue doing our work, but we need to be smart. In terms of general advice that you'd give to people who are engaged in anti-fascist activism or researching these sorts of things online, expressing concerns about the development or further development, entrenchment of racism and white supremacy, 
What sort of advice would you give to someone who's wanting to uh, explore those interests, to engage in terms of their own security and how to go about doing that sort of thing in relative safety? Well, I think that's that's kind of hard. I do my work under my name, my real name, using my real credentials on my real devices. <laughs> I'm a, you know, I'm a, this is my job to do this kind of research. So I follow protocols set by my university and all that kind of stuff. I work on teams with other people who also, go, you know, we publish papers under our real names and stuff like that. But I know that that is not the case for a lot of people who want to get involved with either exposing these groups or just even understanding them by, you know, kind of lurking around their spaces or just what have you. So um, I think people need to take this, the digital threat seriously. My information has been exposed on these, some of the worst sites. I mean, multiple times, dozens of times, it's not fun. You know, it's, it's not fun at all. It it's, it's awful. On the upside, they don't seem to know when each other's groups have already done this work. So they're, they're not, not actually very good at the job of exposing people most of the time. So um, like, for example, they don't seem to have an institutional memory that they've already done this once. They don't seem to bring a lot of skill to the game. People have a lot of fear about being exposed or, or doxxed, as some people call it, on the sites. But I think it's a lot of that is a head game. And it, sometimes the impact isn't as bad as as it might seem at first. But it, the first few times, it is not fun. So I would encourage people to just be safe and have a strong, a very strong community around them. That's for two reasons. It's for when they do, when or if they do get exposed. But it's also to serve as a kind of like a reminder that because when you start to get into these communities and read what the stuff that they're writing and just sort of immerse yourself in it, it can be very draining. And so if you have a strong community around you that you trust and you can go back to, then they can kind of set you straight and remind you of how that the people are good and <laughs> that you have, you know, strong people who love you around you and that, that sort of thing. Um, and that can take a toll on people in different ways and at different rates. So people need to be very aware of that. I would almost say that that's a bigger concern to me than than fear of doxing or being exposed or that kind of stuff. It's just the mental the mental burden that you take on when you do this kind of work. It's not for everyone. It, it really isn't, and the people shouldn't feel bad if they can't do it or don't or just don't want to do it. Well, we'll have to leave it there. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, Megan, and thank you for your work. If people want to find you online, where can they do so? Probably Twitter. I'm Megan Squire Zero on Twitter. And from there, I've got links to like my research pages at my university and stuff like that. If people want to delve into the papers and the, the graphs and the charts and all that good stuff. Well, Andy, that was a very interesting interview. It was, Ken. Hang on. Should we do something better than that? Yes, we should. What do you want to say? Um, How about you say something? And I'll be like, mm, yes. Well, that was a very interesting conversation. Ah, that's what I said to you. <laughs> Cam, one question that occurs to me is, does the left need an alt tech and what would it look like? Can, can we jump on that um, surfboard now and ride the wave? Wasn't there a, uh, a browser extension that turned all every photo of Tony Abbott into a cat? Can we just uh, roll that out on a mass scale? Uh, uh, as Well, that's, that's a volunteer effort. Maybe we should make it, like, mandatory. Hmm. So whenever you look up uh, Adolf Hitler or something, you'll get a, a nice picture of a cat instead. Food for thought. We'll blow people's minds. Any, anywhere out of time. Oh, are we? Okay. Uh, Global Intifada is up next. We'll be back next week with more of these amazing ideas. <laughs> <laughs> See you then. Thanks. 
computador do amor. Yeah.